There was a moment in the middle of the pandemic that felt strangely beautiful to me. I know it's hard to say that. And especially for my position of privilege, I was not a frontline worker. I wasn't masking up to go in the hospital every day like Mickey. I wasn't standing at a checkout counter. I wasn't interacting with human beings every day. I did not experience the worst of it. But you've probably heard the, the murmurs and whispers too from people around that how, when the world stopped, it wasn't entirely an unwelcome thing. Not just the endless jokes about not having to wear pants on Zoom and the poor people who actually did that and got caught. <laughs> there was something deeper. There was a sigh of relief. We work so hard. We run so fast. We had no idea how exhausted we were until we stopped. I know this wasn't everyone's experience. It wasn't even mine at certain points. To the contrary, there was a lot of terrible to go around. The sickness and the rage, George Floyd, and the summer of anger, the quarantining and the being stuck at home and the being with the kids and trying to get things done and the expectations. But still, somehow side by side, there's something there, something undeniable, something ineffable, something important. There was, for a time, quiet and freedom from the insanity of the pressures of the world in the 21st century as we know it. What is most beautiful to me is that we were not the only ones to benefit from that quiet. So I spent much of the pandemic in the wilds of suburban New Jersey, very dangerous place. And I lived with my mother-in-law and uh, most of us even survived. <laughs> and what I would do is I would work every day in her dining room, so I would be right in front of her bay window. And what I found is that when the cars ceased from the streets, other things felt free to roam. And so every day I became used to seeing a vixen, a female fox, lope casually across the street as if she didn't have a care in the world. It was amazing. I was walking, because I finally had time to do that. And I, all of a sudden, I heard this whoosh over my right shoulder and into a neighbor's yard, dropped a red-tailed hawk, grabbed some kind of prey, and flew off again. And I had never been that close. I could feel the air from the beat of its wings. I don't think I'll ever forget what it was like, both the quiet outside of our house and the inner relief. I'll never forget, and I know this is a big irony in a pandemic, how healing the quiet was and how it didn't just heal me, it started quicker than I could have possibly imagined healing the world around me. I feel like it's mostly gone now. Sometime a month after the vaccine was announced, it started going for me and the expectations sort of snapped back into place and I feel unquiet. So what I want us to talk about tonight is how we get it back. We're not done with the pandemic, right? It's still with us, but I don't wanna let it go. I want it back. 
and not just out of a kind of, I don't know, pastoral selfishness. I think that we can't live without it. I want to argue that without the quiet, without having it as a regular part of our lives, we are going to run ourselves into the ground and we're going to take a large portion of the world with us. So I'm going to teach about Shabbat because that's our spiritual technology for quiet. And I'm going to teach about Shemitah, which is the Earth's Shabbat, a year-long quiet that happens every seven years. This is the seventh year. But I'm going to speak about them in a way that I never have before, because in the past when I talked about Shabbat, I would say it's a beautiful Jewish tradition. Good for the family, good for the community, connect with the kids, challah is wonderful, beautiful. But the pandemic changed me. And now I understand Shabbat not as a Jewish observance alone, but as a human question. Can we survive as a species without something like it? Can we f go on, go forward without knowing how to stop? Let me tell you a story. One of the first Shabbats that I got to lead with you at Romu, Brooklyn, was Shabbat Parshat Noah, the story of Noah and the flood. And it was particularly beloved for me because I got to be with Chazan Basia and with Saja. We both quarantined and they came out to our house in New Jersey. And there was this little garden shed that we had in the back. So we turned it into our ark and we broadcast Shabbat live from the ark. It was fun. We had a good time. And that Shabbat, I came across a story, a midrash, a rabbi's story in the Talmud that I had never seen before. It was the story of the raven from the Noah story. And here's how it goes. Now, when the waters ceased, right, when they stopped flooding after the great Noah's flood, everything was still wet. But Noah's ark came to rest on Mount Ararat, which is a mountain in modern-day Turkey. It's a nice big mountain. I'm sure it's wonderful. However, there was still enough water that even though they had come to a rest, Noah could not see dry land. So what did he do? He sent out two birds, first the raven, then the dove, to see if there was dry land that which they could disembark on. Now, you know the story of the dove. The dove goes out, finds nothing, comes back, rests. Goes out in a different direction. And this time, the dove finds an olive tree because the waters have subsided and returns with an olive branch in its mouth. Noah knows it's, been, it's safe to leave. And ever since then, the dove and the olive branch have been signs of peace for our time. Fine, wonderful, beautiful. But what happened to the raven? So this is where the rabbi's imagination comes in. Um, they look at the verse and they see the way it's written and they say, you know what the raven did? The raven left the boat, but didn't do what Noah wanted. What the raven did was circle around the ark again and again and again, flying orbits without end. The only time the raven ever stopped was to sleep and eat. And then he took off again, flying circles. What can we say about the flight of the raven? Or maybe we should call it the plight of the raven. 
Because the truth is we can't much help the raven in the situation as it is right now. Very little can be done for him. Look, we could hire a team of McKinsey consultants. We could make the raven aerodynamic per aerodynamically perfect. We, we have the technology we can build him. If you know that reference, you're old. We could brand the raven on social media. I mean, we could really like up his profile, you know, like I'd murder for a bunch of ravens, you know, like you think you're cool, but I'm raven all night long. I could go on all night with these terrible. And it wouldn't help the raven at all. Not one bit. Because the raven is going nowhere. He's flying in circles. And if he keeps it up like this, one day he's going to fall out of the sky. Because you just can't keep on going on like that. My fellow ravens, we have to talk. We got to talk. There is a twist in our thinking, and it's not a good one, and it goes something like this. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to present you two sets of almost identical statements with small differences in between. You'll hear them. You'll understand what I'm saying. Just listen carefully. After I'm done, tell me if you identify with this. Our worth, our sense of value as people, is tied to our productivity. We try to squeeze every last drop out of ourselves. We aim to be as efficient as possible in order that we might achieve more. We love and value our frailties and vulnerabilities, our eccentricities and unique beauties, but we also try, honestly, to commodify them so that they work for us. And when they get in our way, a lot of us feel frustrated. When we're not growing, especially when we're talking about material growth, we feel like we failed. We are so, so, so overwhelmed. But we feel like we have to keep going. We just don't feel like we and stop. Anybody identify with that? Yeah? I certainly do. But listen to this. Slight changes. The world's worth to us, its value as human, is tied to our productivity. We try to squeeze every last drop out of it. We aim to make it as efficient as possible for us in order that we might achieve more. We love and value its frailties and vulnerabilities, its eccentricities and unique boat, uh, beauties. But we also try to commodify them so that they work for us. And when they get in our way, we feel very frustrated. When we're not growing, especially when we're talking about material growth, we feel like the world has failed us. It is so, so overwhelmed but we feel like we can't stop. We feel like we have to keep going. Those two statements are almost identical to one another. How is it possible that they are not deeply connected? How could we believe that we can keep commodifying ourselves but somehow decommodify the world? What you and I suffer from is excess in every quarter. Look, we, we, we know it. It is not controversial, right? There's too much carbon and too much plastic. But there's also too many responsibilities and too many expectations. How is it possible 
that they're not connected. And despite the fact that on some deep, fundamental, intuitive level that we know it, we know it in our guts, we know it in our soul, somehow or another what we keep on telling ourselves is not to back off, but to step down on the gas pedal, to go faster, that that's the only way we're gonna get out of our mess, this mess, but we are flying in circles, and all we're gonna do is circle faster. We have to change. The one thing that nobody said to the raven was stop, land, rest. Why did no one give him that permission? Why won't he give it to himself? Why won't we? This time of year, we talk about tshuva. You've heard this word, tshuva, right? It's translated as atonement, but what it really means is life altering change. And the two Hebrew words that I've used tonight, tshuva and shabbat, actually share the same Hebrew word as a secret in their heart. And that word is shev, which means sit down. How can you change unless you sit down first and find another direction? We can't make change until we find the quiet. The Sfat Emmet, the amazing Rebbe of Ger, whose psychological, spiritual commentary in the Torah is prized among rabbis, knew that. And he also taught that Shabbos and Tshuva, rest and change, are connected. And he said it was like this. He says, you know what? Okay. Oh, they're stopping right here. Okay, I hope everything's okay. He said this, you know, the inner courtyard of your soul is locked while you're working during the week. You just can't get to it. You can knock on the door, right? You can figure out where it is, but you can't get to it. It's only on Shabbat that it opens up. Unless you think that he's making only a mystical point about the value of Shabbat, remember my vixen. Remember my hawk. The cars had to go. And the sound had to disappear before they would come back out again. The quiet matters. It's essential. We say that the world was created something from nothing. Yesh mi ayin. But in our world, all we have is the yesh. All we have is the something. We lack nothing. We suffer from the need of nothing. We actually, it's like, please, sir, let me have some less. <laughs> Our problem is that we want for nothing. And without nothing, we're never going to be able to change our direction. And this community, God willing, is going to be a beacon of light in terms of what it means to change that kind of direction. We are going to take Shabbat and Shemitah seriously. We have a whole year in order to do this. And what we're going to do is we're going to form Avad Shaket, the Quiet Committee. 
And what we're going to do is endeavor to make our lives more quiet. Everything that we do at Romamu Brooklyn to have that element of quiet, what they call the Bechinat Shabbat, the Shabbat mind within it, whether we're with the young family so the parents can have a moment of quiet, and yes, it's possible, whether we're with the B-mitzvahs, and the B-mitzvahs can have some quiet before they go off into this crazy middle school adulthood that they have to go into, whether it's even our Shabbat, because it's possible these days to have Shabbat without quiet. I'm a working rabbi, I know. Seven years ago, I gave a sermon on the High Holidays, and I received this piece of feedback. I did not come to synagogue to hear how to observe the Sabbath. The rabbi should confine himself to inspiring stories from the Torah. Synagogue is not the place to speak about Shabbat observance. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> But here's the point that this guy had, which was, I am an observant Jew, I love traditional Shabbat, but the thing that I'll tell you is that sometimes there is a mismatch between the way that Shabbat is observed traditionally and the way that we are now. I heard a video, I watched a video of Rib Zalman, the founder of Renewal Judaism, whose Torah influences us here at Romamu, the teacher of Reb David, who is my teacher. And he was asked, Reb David was on the stage, he was at Romamu, and he said, Reb Zalman, you were born Orthodox, what's it like for you to leave Orthodoxy? And he says, in my mind, I didn't leave. He said, I'm still Orthodox for the 21st century. What Reb Zalman was saying was deeply profound. It is possible to hold on to the depth of our conviction that something ancient and sacred is still worthwhile and still find its way onto Zoom and still find its way into the sacred use of technology and still be influenced by putting the phone down and unplugging it and not spending the money and limiting our travel in the way that ancient technology still infuse us today. We have a lot to learn, or should I say a lot to remember. We are so privileged, so privileged, so many gifts so much wealth, more than the world has ever seen, so much comfort, so much wisdom and education and insight. And especially for those of us who come from Jewish communities, Jewish traditions, and this is true for other traditions as well, so much wealth of spiritual teaching. The pandemic was good for two things. It wasn't good for much, but for me it was good for two things. It taught us that we needed to stop. And it showed us that it was possible. I know that we're still suffering. I know that it's still tough. But remember back to that moment of quiet. We have to have it again. If you are interested in becoming part of our Vad Shaket, to help influencing Romamu with the mind of Shabbat, to giving other human beings that sense of rest and quiet. Hello, Brooklyn at Romamu.org. Talk to me. Talk to Emily. Shana Tovah.